Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Educating Investors Podcast. My name is Scott Peterson, Financial Advisor of Harmony Wealth Management. Thanks for turning in for today's episode, Update on Market Volatility. I believe that educated investors equal successful investors. The goal of this podcast is to help to educate as many individuals as possible on markets, the economy, and financial planning topics. In this episode, I'm going to give an update on a recent podcast episode I did in September on the possibility of increasing volatility. The increase in volatility that I discussed in a recent podcast episode is upon us and has been showing up in the market. As I stated in that episode, it is possible that we could see this level of volatility increasing on and off heading into and possibly after the election. I felt this was a good time to review a few of the reasons I had stated that could cause volatility to pick up. Those reasons being a no-deal Brexit, the election, coronavirus, and lack of fiscal stimulus. These are not all the reasons that can impact volatility in the markets, but I believe that these are some of the main reasons for uncertainty in the market, which is causing the volatility. I know a lot of people are probably saying, I thought we were done with Brexit. Unfortunately, that is not correct. For those that don't recall or remember what Brexit was about, Brexit is a withdrawal of the United Kingdom from the European Union. Following a UK-wide referendum in June 2016 in which 52% voted in favor of leaving the EU and 48% voted to remain a member, the UK government, which was led by Theresa May, formally notified the EU of the country's intention to withdraw on March 29, 2017, beginning the Brexit process. After many delays, the UK Parliament finally ratified the withdrawal agreement and the UK left the EU at 11 p.m. on January 31, 2020. This began a transition period that is set to end on December 31, 2020, during which the UK and the EU are negotiating their future relationship. The UK remains subject to EU laws and remains part of the EU Customs Union and single market during the transition, but is no longer part of the EU's political bodies or institutions. So that is where we are at currently. The EU and UK are trying to come up with an agreement on their future relationship on January 1, 2021. The Brexit negotiation also suffered a reversal when the UK government published the Internal Market Bill on September 9th. This bill would overwrite parts of the withdrawal agreement, which is an international treaty. Such a unilateral overwriting would clearly be a breach of international law, a fact that the UK government acknowledges. The bill gives British ministers a unilateral power to determine if goods moving from Great Britain to Northern Ireland are at risk of going to the Irish Republic. Under the Internal Market Bill, the UK government would also have the unilateral power to decide whether to inform the EU about state aid that affects firms operating in Northern Ireland. This provision would open the possibility of UK public subsidies undercutting EU firms, a strong EU concern. Five former Prime Ministers argued that passing the law is backtracking on a binding international agreement, which sets a bad precedent as London needs to negotiate multiple new bilateral trade deals like it just did with Japan and hopes to do soon with the U.S. Currently, talks are back on between the EU and the U.K. with time running short in order to come up with a trade and security agreement that both can agree to. EU sources have suggested that mid-November is now the absolute deadline for a deal in order for there to be time for parliamentary ratifications on both sides of the channel. Without an agreement, this could cause issues for both sides, especially in the time when the countries in the EU and the U.K. are dealing with the impact of another wave of the coronavirus. A no-deal Brexit will just lead to more uncertainty and potential volatility for their economies and markets. 
economists at Deutsche Bank said in a paper published on Friday that the end of Brexit transition period would have a material impact on trade. Deutsche Bank forecasted a free trade agreement would see European output fall by 0.2% of GDP, while a no-deal Brexit would knock off 0.4% of GDP. For both UK and EU importers and exporters, the increased cost of trade will be material, deal or no deal. According to the paper, the higher costs are expected to depress trade between the EU and UK regardless of whether a trade deal is reached, with the impact being tougher on Britain. They estimate that a no-deal Brexit would cost Britain an estimated 1.1% of GDP in lost trade. Deutsche Bank forecasted a no-deal Brexit would knock off 0.4% of GDP of the EU. Volatility would lessen in regards to Brexit if a no-deal Brexit were taken off the table. EU and British negotiators will continue talks in Brussels on Monday and until around midweek. In terms of the election, history shows us that volatility tends to increase into the election and tends to fall once there is some level of certainty over the results. The longer it takes to get an outcome, the more potential volatility that we could see in the markets. The outcome could potentially be delayed by counting of mail-in ballots as well as a potential close election that could be contested. A contested election would add volatility to the market due to the uncertainty. We saw this during the 2000 election between the dates of the election and when Gore conceded the election in December of 2000. The 2000 election, which ultimately had to be decided by the Supreme Court in Bush versus Gore, trimmed about 5% from the S&P 500 index. That might be a mild response if an uncertain election outcome sparks civil unrest. Any outcome that can be determined with some level of certainty would be better for the markets than the uncertainty caused by delay in result or a contested election. This degree of political instability due to a contested election could trigger a major risk-off episode in financial markets at a time when the economy is already slowing and the near-term prospects for additional policy stimulus remains grim. If an election dispute drags on perhaps into early next year, stock prices could fall by as much as 10%, government bond yields would decline, and the global flight to safety could push gold prices higher. Usually in this type of scenario, the U.S. dollar would strengthen, but because this particular episode was started by the uncertainty of a U.S. election, capital might actually flee from the dollar, leaving it weaker. While we should know who has won the presidency by December 14th when the Electoral College votes, if the Electoral College fails or is in a small chance of a tie, the new House of Representatives will decide the election in January. The December 8th date is an important one as well. December 8 is known as the safe harbor date by which federal law requires states to determine their electors six days before the electors vote for president and vice president. The safe harbor date has been an important hard line in past presidential elections. In the landmark U.S. Supreme Court case in 2000 of Bush v. Gore, the court essentially ruled that there wasn't enough time to complete a recount by the safe harbor deadline. Once we have some certainty of the results, markets tend to rally. Based on a Deutsche Bank strategist paper, finds close elections have been followed by strong rallies averaging 5%, regardless of which party wins, as hedges against political risk are closed out. The question will be, when do we get that certainty as a result of the election? Another potential positive once we have certainty on the election going into next year is that year-over-year earnings comparisons should be easier to beat for first and second quarters based on how bad earnings were in the first and second quarter of 2020 due to the coronavirus pandemic. According to data from Ned Davis Research looking at data on the Dow Jones Industrial Average since 1900, election year-end rallies have been strongest when the incumbent Republican Party wins re-election. 
However, the post-election year has been strongest when the incumbent Republican Party loses. The market has performed better under Democratic presidents, but has preferred a Republican congressional check. A quick and certain outcome to the election will be the most important to the markets in terms of eliminating uncertainty and therefore lessening volatility. An increase in the coronavirus cases, hospitalizations, and deaths continue to lead an increase in volatility in the markets, especially with further restrictions and lockdowns and their impact on the global economic recovery. COVID-19 infections are spreading across the United States at the fastest rate since the start of the pandemic. The U.S. reported 99,321 new COVID-19 cases on Friday, the highest single-day number of cases recorded for any country. The top five records in daily cases all occurred within eight days. It's not just the U.S. as Europe has been grappling with a second wave of COVID-19 infections that has forced countries like France, Spain, Germany, Italy, and Poland to reimpose lockdowns and other restrictions aimed at curbing the spread. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced Saturday that England will be entering a second lockdown, which will come into effect on Thursday and last for a month. Europe's new COVID-19 cases have doubled in five weeks, propelling the region on Sunday across a bleak milestone of 10 million total infections. The only way that this uncertainty truly goes away is with effective treatments and or vaccines that can be used to fight the spread of the virus. Because the virus is going to be with us, a lack of additional fiscal support will add additional volatility to the market. The fact that Republicans and Democrats in Congress could not come up with an agreement to pass legislation on additional fiscal support to the economy before the election could be the most important reason for additional volatility. The question is, once the election is decided, will they be able to pass legislation to provide this fiscal support during the lame duck session? If the results of the election are slow to be determined or contested, it would make it very difficult to pass additional fiscal support before next year. This would be happening during a time when the continuing resolutions currently funding the federal government expires on December 11th. At that point, Congress and President Trump will have to agree to a fresh continuing resolution to avert a federal government shutdown. But with the election behind them, some members of Congress, especially those who may have lost re-election, could be less concerned about alienating voters with a shutdown. Party agendas could clash as Congress debates a new continuing resolution. If Congress should fail to reach an agreement by December 11th deadline, the resulting federal shutdown will last until January 3rd, 2021, when the new Congress is set to meet. Obviously, with a government shutdown, if it were to happen, additional relief would not take place until sometime next year. With coronavirus cases picking up and the potential restrictions on businesses rising due to state and local government trying to slow the spread of the virus, more business could be at risk of closing without the additional fiscal support, leading to potentially more unemployment at a time when there is no additional fiscal support to help these businesses and individuals to bridge the gap to affected treatments and or vaccines and a more orderly opening of the economy. Savings that were accumulated during the first round of fiscal assistance will continue to decrease in order to pay bills, while eviction moratoriums are set to expire by January or sooner. Renters will then be on the hook for months of missed payments, which even those who have jobs could struggle to pay. According to Moody's Analytics estimates, it could reach nearly $70 billion by year-end if there is no additional stimulus spending. The economic research firm calculated that 12.8 million Americans would then owe an average of $5,400 for missed payments. The tens of millions of people potentially caught in a web of home rental debt and evictions would far exceed the 3.8 million homeowners 
were forced closed on in 2007 through 2010. Those with no jobs, no homes, and no capital to consume could slow down the economic recovery that we have seen since the first stimulus relief package was passed. The trillions of dollars that has been paid out in the original package was not a stimulus payment, but one of support. They were put out there to, to bridge the gap for the economy until vaccines and treatments were available for the economy to reopen safely. They were designed to replace lost income for individuals and households due to the restrictions put in place to fight the pandemic due to job loss. Funds were used for necessities such as food and shelter. Companies and small businesses received funds so they could continue to employ as many people as possible during the pandemic while they had a loss of revenue. The thought was that this would make it easier for those that were temporarily unemployed to come back to work when possible. State and local governments have seen their revenue drop substantially due to a drop in tax revenue while their spending is growing to combat the pandemic. They need aid to assist them in making up for the revenue loss and to be able to provide the essential services and needs of their community. Without this help, services and or employment would be cut, which would impact consumption and therefore growth in the economy. Volatility is not new. The market tends to have some volatility associated with them all the time. According to data from J.P. Morgan, the S&P 500 averages an intra-year decline of 13.8% over the last 40 years, and in 30 of the 40 years, the S&P 500 still ended up positive. Based on this data, the S&P 500 averages a stock market correction every year. This also plays out in small cap and international stocks. According to the data, the Russell 2000 averaged an intra-year decline of 18.3% over the last 40 years, and in 27 of those 40 years ended the year positive, and the EFA index, which is an international developed index, averaged an intra-year decline of 15% over the last 40 years, but in 30 of the 40 years ended the year positive. This is why clients need to have an allocation based on their personal goals and needs that is fully diversified to diversify as much of the risk as possible over time and achieving an average annual return to meet their long-term goals. Core bonds are one way to add diversification from equities in a portfolio. Data from J.P. Morgan shows that the Barclays U.S. aggregate bond market has averaged an intra-year decline of 3.1% over the last 40 years, and in 37 of those 40 years, the returns were positive at the end of the year. And more importantly, in most of the years with major stock declines, bonds have performed well. This is why a diversified allocated portfolio works over time. Data from J.P. Morgan shows that a diversified 60-40 allocation has had an average intra-year decline of 7.5% over the last 40 years, and annual returns have been positive in 33 of those 40 years. Markets are consistent over time, and the key to being successful is to be allocated and diversified and investing through all short-term cycles to get the long-term consistent annual return of your allocation. So in conclusion, volatility is going to continue until we have some certainty around Brexit, the election, the spread of coronavirus, and fiscal support for the economy to provide a bridge to affected treatments and vaccines. As we get some clarity and some level of certainty on these issues, volatility should tend to decrease until the next issues provide more uncertainty and therefore volatility. The only certainty is that there will be something that will cause more uncertainty. Markets tend to do well once there is some level of certainty from the outcome of the election. Volatility around the election could be with us for a while if it takes longer to determine the outcome based on counting a mail-in ballot or if the election is contested. 
The volatility around coronavirus will be here as long as case counts, hospitalizations, and deaths continue to rise. The only long-term way to impact volatility caused by the virus would be to have effective treatments and vaccines that are safe and are deployed. While the virus spreads and treatment and vaccines are not approved and deployed, the economy needs additional fiscal support to help businesses and individuals till they are available. While we wait for approved effective treatments and vaccines, social distancing, wearing masks, and washing hands have been determined to be effective ways to slow the spread of the virus. The economy may need more fiscal help that would be truly fiscal stimulus to help during the reopening of the economy. The most important things that investors can do is to make sure that the portfolio allocation based on their financial plan is diversified to help them achieve their goals and needs with the least amount of risk. In the current environment, that means that investors want to have exposure to large-cap quality companies with good balance sheets and earnings that can help to get them through difficult times caused by the pandemic if that dynamic were to continue with the economy. These companies, many of which are tech companies, have actually benefited from the restrictions in the economy caused by the pandemic. Investors need to make sure that they do have exposure to small and mid-cap, value, international, and emerging market companies that could perform better if the economic reopening starts to go smoother with the slowing of the spread of the virus and the advancements of potential treatments and vaccines. Some of these areas also would benefit from the potential prolonged weakening of the dollar and are trading at lower valuations. Investors should also have exposure to dividend growth equities due to the fact that interest rates are low and there is a need for income in the portfolios of the world with an aging demographics. Investors need to look for companies that have strong balance sheets and the ability not only to pay their dividends, but grow their dividends at a pace hopefully faster than inflation so that income keeps its purchasing power. Core fixed income, which has a low correlation to risk assets like equities and cash, still play an important role in the portfolio based on the potential for this increased volatility to possibly continue, and having the liquidity in the portfolio necessary in case there is a need for cash, where you as the investor do not have to sell out of assets at the wrong time if the market is lower. With valuations at higher levels, especially in the U.S. and increasing volatilities, investors should look to dollar cost average into new position or existing positions that they are looking to add to instead of establishing full positions. Over time, investors should look to trim small amounts as they become overweight to particular sectors or securities and rebalanced areas that they are underweight to and are cheaper. Finally, investors should not look to make major changes to portfolios just based on the outcome of the election. When President Trump won in 2016, the futures on the Dow Jones Industrial Average were down more than 900 points early that morning, and market pundits were telling investors to sell their stocks. Well, the market ended that first trading day after the election up, and the market has rallied throughout his first term. Many believe with less regulation that the energy sector could benefit during his first term. However, clean energy companies have outperformed traditional energy companies since his election. So don't make decisions just based on the results of short-term events like the election. Although there are a lot of potential concerns when it comes to the market over the next few months, there are the positives of a low interest rate environment, which according to the Federal Reserve could be with us for years. The continued liquidity being pumped into the economy by central banks around the world should continue to help support the markets. And finally, the possibility of additional fiscal support from governments around the world should provide relief and stimulus to the global economy. Market returns tend to be more volatile over the short term, but they are very consistent over the long term, and those investors that stick to their long-term allocation based on their goals and needs tend to be successful by taking advantage of the power compounding over time and the consistency of long-term returns of the market. 
is not about timing the market, but time in the market. This completes this episode of the Educating Investors podcast. I know that time is an important asset for everybody, so I appreciate you taking a part of your day to listen. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, feel free to share this with other friends and family that may be interested. Also, feel free to check out my website at www.harmonywealthmanagement.com to learn more about what I do as well as to find my contact information and links to my LinkedIn page and blog. The Educating Investors podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The information presented on the Educating Investors podcast should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The Educating Investors podcast, its host Scott Peterson, and its firm Harmony Wealth Management LLC should not be held liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on the Educating Investors podcast show.